This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. One of the things that we're going to see in the, the text today is that our hearts can be idle factories. And we can, we can seek to, to put other, other things on the, the throne of our heart and make other things our, our treasure. And what we need to see is that God is he's a love like no other. Um, let's pray together as we prepare to dig into God's Word. Uh, Father, we, we do confess to you that, that our, our tendency uh, in our sin nature is to allow other things to usurp your rightful place in the th- on the throne of our lives. That, that other, other things can become more precious to us than you. That, that other things can become our treasure. When in reality, only you can be our true treasure. And so we, we pray that, that you would dethrone the idols in our hearts today, that, that you would be what is supremely valuable to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus who loved us and who gave himself for us. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 through 7. And so we have come to chapter 6 and verse 19. And the question um, that we're asking today is, is Christ your treasure? Is Christ your treasure? Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look um, beginning at verse 19 and look through verse 24. If you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word, where Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate the the, the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Well, if you've read Lord of the Rings or seen any of the the movies, you know that there's a strange creature named Gollum. And uh, Gollum was just a, a, a normal guy until one day he discovers this ring. And, and the ring that Gollum discovers is very, very powerful, but yet highly addictive. And in the end, it destroys Gollum from the inside out, as all addictions tend to do. And it it becomes such an idol 
in his life that he refers to this ring as my precious. This is a text that forces us to come to terms with who or what is most precious to us. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says this, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's talking about Jesus. Is Christ your treasure? Is, is he the most precious thing in the universe to you? What Jesus does here in this text is he gives us three metaphors that force us to ask that question. And the first metaphor that he, that he gives us is, is a treasure. So let's look first of all at verses 19 through 21. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the ancient world, wealth was often bound up in metal and things like uh, costly garments. And so when Jesus talks here about uh, things that, 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 that moss could eat up, a lot of times in that culture, uh, wealth would be tied up in sort of rich uh, oriental garments that you know, any self-respecting moth would just love to dig into and eat. And especially in a Middle Eastern climate, like the one that Jesus is, 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 is speaking in, rust was something that people would fear because a lot of times their wealth was tied up in, in, in things that would literally rust. Thieves were another thing that, that made people nervous, especially when you consider the fact that sort of banks as we know them did not e exist. And so uh, people's whole uh, life savings uh, could be just wiped out if a, a thief were to break into their house and steal their, their, their coins or their, their valuables. I mean, it, it could all be lost. It's a guy I follow on social media who had been working on his, his PhD for four years, and he shared on social media in the past couple of weeks that uh, he, all the work that he had done on his PhD was on a, a, a flash drive, and, and, and then he lost the, the, the flash drive. It, it's all gone. Well, catastrophic losses like that might be in some ways less common in our world. I mean, after all, we can, we can, we can back up documents and, you know, we can put uh, money in the bank and we can have sophisticated alarm systems on our, our, our houses and, you know, we can, we have better ways of, of keeping uh, insects and, 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 and rust from, uh, away from, from valuables and that kind of thing. But there's one thing that we share in common with people in the ancient world that one thing that we cannot stop is death. The last time that I checked, 
the, the mortality rate among human beings is hovering at a very consistent 100%. And when we leave this earth, we will take with us exactly what we brought into this life, which is nothing. I've been a part of lots and lots of funerals through the years as a pastor. And I've seen some strange things at certain funerals through, the, through all, the, all the years. But you know, I've never seen a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Not one time. You can't take it with you. But what Jesus says here is that you can send it on ahead where it will be perfectly safe in the Father's Deposit Insurance Corporation. So, what do we think about when Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? What's he talking about when he says that? New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg says this, spiritual treasure should be defined as broadly as possible, as everything believers can take with them beyond the grave, holiness of character, obedience to God, souls won for Christ, and disciples nurtured in the faith. In this context, however, storing up treasures focuses particularly on the compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical and spiritual needs. That's that's what we're we're doing when we, we, we give in, um, in our, our church because, you know, we're supporting the work of the gospel and meeting the spiritual needs of people, which is ultimate, but also the, the physical needs of people in our, our community and around the world. Now, the opposite of, of laying up treasures in heaven would be hoarding treasures here on earth. That's what Jesus is saying that we must not do. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, don't, don't hoard your material resources. Now, Jesus tells a parable about a guy who does this very thing in the 12th chapter of Luke. Let's look at it. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. And and let's camp there for a second because when Jesus talks about a a rich person here, uh, you may not think of yourself as as a rich person, but for most of the people around the world, they would think of us as rich people, okay? So this is a relative term. We, We are rich compared to most of the people in the world. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now listen, 
if you don't believe in God, then the guy in this parable is acting in a perfectly logical way. I mean, what the way that he's living, you know, is kind of perfectly consistent with a, a Darwinian view of, of, of life. You know, uh, no God, uh, he who dies uh, with the most toys wins. Well, here's a, here's a reality check for you. He who dies with the most toys still dies. And doesn't take a single toy or a single dollar with him. And what if one second after you die, you stand before God and you will. And God does an audit of our life and how we have handled the resources that he gave us. And he will. And he sees that your method of handling what he gave you was to simply build bigger barns in a world full of desperate need, desperate spiritual need, desperate physical need. Not good. That's a lose, lose, lose. Because you lose the opportunity to help people desperately in need of help. You lose eternal rewards. And you lose the opportunity to get to know God better in a relationship that is based on faith and trust. Because you insisted on worshiping almighty dollar instead of almighty God. And and that's what... Jesus is saying here in verse 21, when he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The the way that we handle money and material resources is, is an indicator of what is supremely valuable to us. You know, we can We can talk, talk, talk all we want about Christ being our treasure. But if we hoard financial resources and we don't give, then our our actions are saying more than what our, our words ring hollow. Because the way that we the way that we deal with resources indicates true treasure. Is Jesus supremely valuable or is money supremely valuable? When we learn how to give generously, the lose, lose, lose becomes a win, win, win. Because we get to bless other people and make an eternal difference in the lives of people. It's a win because we're, we're, we're laying up rewards that can never be taken away. The old saying is true, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last and last and last. And, and we're learning what it means to have a relationship with God where we can trust our Father where we can truly lean back and rest in him because we're tr- we can give generously because we're trusting our father to provide and to come through for us and when we learn that 
and we see God coming through for us, our, our faith in Him just gets built and our relationship with Him just grows over time. It's a win-win-win. So the first metaphor that Jesus uses here is, is a treasure. The second is a lamp, and we see that in verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Imagine your, your life, your body as a, as a room, That's what most of the people who were standing on the hillside as Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount originally in first century Galilee, their house would have been a room. In fact, you can see that back in chapter 5. Turn turn back to chapter 5 and verse 15. You remember what Jesus said there? He, he, He said... No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. You say, well, how could one lamp give light to all who were in the house? Because their houses were a room, right? One room, typically, where they they did everything, and, 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 and often they didn't have windows. And so their, their, their light was dependent upon that oil lamp. But what if their lamp was bad? What if their lamp was running out of olive oil? What if the lamp was covered with soot? Then there would be darkness. Jesus says that your eyes are like, the, are like the, the lamp of your body, of your life. What if your eyes are bad? And he's not talking here about the, about the results of the test that the eye doctor gives you when you go in to get your eyes examined. He's talking about a, a different kind of sight. The great hymn writer Fanny Crosby was blind but she had 2020 spiritual vision, the vision that ultimately matters, that's most important. And how did, a, how did she have perfect spiritual vision? Because she fixed her gaze on Christ. And, and when we do that, there's this beautiful expression here in verse 22, your whole body will be full of light. In fact, you'll be so full of light that you will radiate light to others. Again, turn back to chapter 5 and look at verse 16. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light Shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. As we gaze upon Christ and and we are full of light, 
that light radiates so that people can, can see more of who God is. But, but what if your vision is bad? What if your eyes are fixed on idols instead of Christ? What if, what if our eyes are fixed on money and stuff? What if they're fixed on uh, some other idol, sex, or other people, or power, or prestige, or position? You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. You become like what you fix your eyes upon. What happens when we fix our eyes on Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, We all with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we fix our gaze on Christ, We are being transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more like Christ. D.A. Carson has written a great commentary on Matthew. And when he was a a student at at Cambridge in England, he and his his now wife uh, were engaged at the time. And so uh, they would... um, in Cambridge, there's a, a river, and there was a, a bike path right beside the river. And so, Dr. Carson and his, his fiance would, would go on bike rides uh, by, on a path by the, the river. And there was no railing along the outside of the path, so the person on the outside of the path next to the river had to be really careful because, you know, you, you could make a wrong move and go plunging down the embankment uh, into the river. So whenever they went on a bike ride, uh, he would always get on the, the outside so that if anything happened, his fiance wouldn't be the one that would be uh, taking the, the plunge. And so, but he noticed that uh, as they would ride bikes along this path side by side, and they were, of course, talking as they rode. But a lot of times, his fiance would want to look at him as they were talking. And he noticed that whenever, whenever they were riding side by side, and she would, she, she would look at him, inevitably, he would have to slam on brakes to avoid getting tangled up with her bicycle and, and, and going into the river. Why? Because we tend to move toward whatever we fix our eyes upon. As we fix our eyes on Christ, we move closer and closer to Him. We are transformed to be more and more like Him by the the Spirit of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2 
says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. There's a third metaphor that Jesus uses here in verse 24, and that is a master. A master. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is not like working two jobs. You know, we may in our culture today, we might be able to work two jobs, but this isn't a culture where there was slavery and you could not serve two masters. But we may delude ourselves into thinking that we can. Yet we may kid ourselves and try to convince ourselves that, you know, we can handle money and material resources just like the rest of the world and yet still have Christ as our treasure. It doesn't work that way. Again, Craig Blomberg is on point when he says the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not Islam, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. Now, maybe you would confess today, you know, I haven't been a very faithful steward with what God has, has given me. Well, <laughs> The thing to be encouraged by is that you're not in the position of the person in the parable that Jesus told. You're still alive. <laughs> there is still opportunity to faithfully steward the resources that God has given you. In 1888, the Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel woke up one morning and looked in the newspaper and read his own obituary. <laughs> what had happened was that his brother, Ludwig, who lived in France, had died. And the reporters, in their rush to get a story out, one of them heard that it was Alfred Nobel that had died, and so they, they rushed it to print. And so there was Alfred Nobel reading his own obituary in the newspaper. And the headline of his obituary was, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Because he had made his fortune uh, inventing and producing dynamite, which was then translated into weapons of war. As he read his own obituary and read this headline, the merchant of death is dead. He was shattered. Is this, is this my life? Is this how I am going to be remembered? 
And so he, he determined that from that day forward, he was going to leverage the resources that he had to fund prizes for people who had done things to, to benefit humanity. We know them today as Nobel Prizes. One minute after you die, what will you wish you would have given? Why not give it now? And all of this goes back to the gospel because the heart of the gospel is what? Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that you, you so loved the world, so loved us, that you gave your only son. And so the, the, the heart of the good news that has transformed our life is that something has been given for us. We could never earn it. The gospel came to us as, as a gift. And Father, we pray that as those who, who, have, who have received the good news of the gospel and received the, the rescue, the new life that we have through the gospel, that you would make us givers, generous givers. Lord, we know we, we live in a world so full of needs, so many lost people, around the world that need to hear the good news of the gospel. Make us generous givers so that more can go and to proclaim the good news around the world. How can they go unless they are sent? Lord, make us more and more of just a generous giving church so that more can be sent with the good news of the gospel for those who are in desperate spiritual need. We live in a world full of desperate physical need as well. Even as we just study the Lord's Prayer and give us this day our daily bread, Lord, remind us that there are, there are so many people who, who wake up every day around the world without the guarantee that they're going to have daily bread. We are so incredibly blessed uh, in this culture. And to whom much is given, you tell us that much will be required. Lord, make us faithful stewards because you loved us and gave yourself for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1, 12, 
To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.